we're going to deal with just a part of a verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you have a Bible, but you can memorize this verse or this part of a verse uh, before the service is over. Uh, I'm going to read the entire verse, and then next week we'll look at the rest of the verse along with the following, but I felt like this topic was important enough for one message. You should find an outline on the back of your bulletin, or it's attached there. You can tear it out. And there are printed messages at both exits, and um, the full manuscript is there, and then the messages are all on the church website as well. We come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14, where Paul says, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. That's the part we're going to look at, so you got that part down? We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, um, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men or with everyone. So our text encourages all of us to a ministry that we all tend to avoid. We don't like doing the ministry of admonishing a disobedient brother or sister in Christ. I don't like doing it. That's the least favorable thing I have in my job. I just don't like to do it. But if you like to do it, then you probably should not be doing it because you're probably a little too gung-ho. I think there's a factor the Lord built in that we all say, I don't think I want to try that or do that. But it's a vital ministry in the body of Christ, and we need to understand it and practice it in spite of our natural inclination to avoid it. Because without this ministry of correction, it's like when I was in the Coast Guard and was on the bridge, you had to keep the boat on course. And if you didn't, every so often you were way off course and you'd look at the compass and realize, whoops, and you had to bring it back on course and keep doing that. And we all tend to drift. We all tend to be susceptible to the temptations we face from the world and the flesh, and the devil. So we need this ministry of correction. Now maybe you're thinking, well, isn't that the job of the pastor and the elders? Uh, So they know how to do it better than I do. I'll just let them do it. Well, yes, as we saw last time in verse 12, uh, it is especially the ministry of the church leaders. Paul says that they have charge over you in the Lord, and they give you My version reads instruction, and I don't know why they translated it that way, because the Greek is the same as in verse 14. They give you admonition, uh, is the idea there. Um, Now, brethren, in verse 12, is the whole church. And so I'm assuming that brethren, in verse 14, is the same. The whole church is exhorted here to... um, give this ministry of admonishing the unruly and encouraging the faint-hearted and helping the weak. Now, there are other texts that support my contention that this is not just our job as leaders, but all of your job. For example, when we come to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 
and verse 15. In the context, Paul there is talking about admonishing uh, a brother who does not regard Paul's instructions in the letter. And he says to them, yet don't regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. The whole church was to do that. Also in Romans chapter 15 and verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, And concerning you, my brethren, he's writing to the whole church, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. There's the word again. Um, Back in 1970, there was a um, brother named Jay Adams who wrote a book called Competent to Counsel based on Romans 15, 14, that you're able to admonish. I think the King James said competent to counsel one another. And he called it neuthetic counseling because the Greek word is neutheo there. And um, that launched the biblical counseling movement. But since this ministry is one that the entire body is to engage in, and since it's a a ministry that's vital for us to have a healthy church, I wanted to just devote this single message to helping, I hope, equip you in carrying out this vital ministry as to how we should do it. So the main idea is simply that all believers are responsible to admonish those who are leading an undisciplined and disorderly life. To carry out this ministry, the first thing we need to do to admonish others is to overcome some common excuses. And maybe the most common is, well, I'm afraid to do that. You know, I I just am shy person, and I'm really afraid to go to someone and try and offer correction. I find many times when I'm doing counseling with couples that are having marital problems, the husband will not talk to his wife about her sins. Oh, man, you kidding me? I'd be in the doghouse for a week. You know, I'd have the silent treatment, and she'd never let me forget it. Or the wife will say, oh, wow, you don't know my husband. If I tried to correct him, he would explode. You know, he's got a temper. And besides, the Bible says that I'm to be submissive to my husband. And so uh, I I don't want to confront him. It's kind of interesting. Wives never or seldom bring out that verse about being submissive to their husbands. But if it's useful to get out of confronting him, yes, thank you. There's my verse, and they will avoid confronting each other. I find pastors who are so concerned about pleasing people, they won't deal with their sin. One pastor I read about had an elder who was engaging in adultery, and he told the pastor, if you expose me, or try to confront me on that, I'm going to um, sue the church. And he had enough clout in the church. He said, I'm going to make sure you get fired. Pastor backed off. Another situation I heard about, a woman who sang solos in the church often, was divorcing her husband for an unbiblical reason. 
And um, pastor wouldn't confront him. He said, I'm not going to touch that one. That would stir up a hornet's nest in the church. And so sin is allowed to fester and continue and sometimes flagrant sin in churches. And maybe you've used that fear excuse. You think, oh, wow, if I went to my friend who is being disobedient to the Lord, ah, I'm afraid he'd get angry with me. Second reason we bring up our excuse is I don't want to be judgmental. Matthew 7, 1, you know, we all know that verse. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. We all know that verse, but I'm not sure we all know how to apply it. It's one of the most misapplied verses in the Bible. People take it to mean we should not make judgments about others. That's not what it means because Five verses later in verse 6, Jesus says, Don't give what is holy to dogs, and don't cast your pearls before swine. Now, if you're going to obey verse 6, you've got to say, That person is a dog, or that person is a swine. That's a fairly severe judgment to make. And obviously, Jesus wasn't contradicting himself in the space of five verses. He intends for us to be discerning about other people. And so what he meant, and again, context is everything. If you keep reading, what he says is, take the log out of your own eye. In other words, deal with major sins in your own life, and then you can help your brother with the speck in his eye. So he's not saying don't come alongside your brother. He's saying first, deal with your stuff, then you can go to your brother. And that leads to another reason why we tend to shy away from admonishing others. And that is, well, who am I to correct someone else when I've got my own issues? You know, and we're afraid if I go to him, he's going to point the finger back at me and say, oh, look who's talking, you know, and he'll bring up my issues and and then I'll be guilty as charged. And so we avoid helping one another deal with sin. All that does is helps perpetuate ongoing sin in the church. You don't talk to me about my sin, and I won't talk to you about yours. And we aren't growing in Christ if we're doing that. We need that ministry of confrontation. It says in 2 Timothy 2 that we're to confess and forsake all known sins so that we will be cleansed vessels fit for the master's use. And so... You don't have to be perfect to admonish a brother or sister. You have to be walking with the Lord, you know, dealing with your sin openly before Christ. Another excuse. Well, we need to be tolerant and loving. Tolerant and loving. Uh, Thirty years ago, an important book came out called The Closing of the American Mind by a He's a secular philosopher by the name of Alan Bloom, taught at the University of Chicago. And he made the point very clearly that tolerance has become the chief American or Western civilization virtue. Put virtue in quotes because he argued it's not really a virtue. But what he pointed out was you can call, if you call anyone's behavior, even if they are just plain evil, and outrageously sinful, but if you call them sinful or wrong, then you're judged as being intolerant. And that becomes the worst sin, to be intolerant of someone. He wrote this. He said, there is no enemy 
other than the man who is not open to everything. And he found with his students, he couldn't get them to even come out and say that, you know, mass murderers were evil. They didn't want to make that judgment because we have to be tolerant. And, of course, if there are no standards, uh, absolute standards, then, yeah, who am I to judge him? But here's the truth. Sin always damages the sinner, and sin always damages those that, that are sinned against. And sin always damages the glory of God if we're Christians. And the world hears, oh, yeah, those Christians, look what they're doing. And so out of love for God and his glory, out of love for others, we have to uh, talk to people, admonish people about their sin. Another excuse, maybe the problem will go away on its own. Yeah. Well, sometimes it does. Sometimes, thankfully, it does. The Holy Spirit comes in, convicts the person, and uh, we don't need to do anything. And I'm always thankful for that. Also, I will say God is patient and he is gracious with us in our imperfection. And so there is wisdom in waiting and praying for the person, praying for the opportunity to go to them and so on. Maybe it'll clear up in the interim. But my point is, if it doesn't, you may be on. You may be the one God has assigned to say, you need to go talk to your brother or your sister about that issue. And then one other excuse, you can probably think of more, but I already brought this one up. But maybe the elders... Or someone else should do it. I'm just not good at this sort of thing. And so we punt. Well, as I said, sometimes the elders are the ones to do it. But here's the general principle. When we've had situations in elder meetings where we know we've got to deal with somebody who's strained from the Lord, the question that we ask one another is, do any of you know this guy personally and well? Guess what? You're on if you do. Because correction is best received when it comes from someone who's in a good relationship with that person. They, the person knows that guy loves me. We've already had a relationship. And so that's a general thing. And we don't know everyone as elders as well as you know people in the church. So if you know someone pretty well and you see them veering from the truth, begin to pray. You may be the one that God is calling to go to that person and correct them. So, first thing we need to overcome is all these excuses. Secondly, to admonish correctly, we need to discern the other person's spiritual condition, and then we need to understand what, what this ministry of admonition is. First of all, to discern the other person's spiritual condition. Verse 14, again, notice, we urge you, brethren... Admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. So one approach doesn't fit all. We have to discern, is, is this person unruly? Then I shouldn't encourage him. Or is the person um, faint-hearted or weak? Then I shouldn't admonish him. They need encouragement or they need help. The word unruly... Um, was often used in, in a military context to mean 
to be out of step, out of order, undisciplined, unbridled, or to act irresponsibly. You know, when I was in Coast Guard boot camp, and any of you guys that have been in the, in the Army or in service know this, you, you march a lot. And when you're marching, there's always some wise guy in the company who thinks it's funny to do the opposite of the command or to march out of step and get everybody else out of step. And so, left face, and he goes right, and ha, 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 isn't that funny? Well, it's funny unless you get caught in the face with his rifle because he's going the opposite way from everybody else. And, of course, usually the company gets 50 push-ups because that guy goofed up. But here, uh, Paul, when he's talking about the unruly, may be referring to the people he alluded to in chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, who, in light of thinking the Lord's coming back, they had quit their work and were sponging off everyone else and leading uh, an undisciplined life. He'll address that more in chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. He says there in chapter 3, verse 6, he describes these brothers as leading an unruly life. That's the same Greek word, unruly. And not according to the tradition you receive from us. And then in verse 11, he uses the word again when he says they were leading an undisciplined life. That's the same word. Doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. They may also have been the ones teaching the church falsely that the day of the Lord had come. We'll see that in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. So the point is probably when somebody's leading an unruly, undisciplined, uh, irresponsible life, it spills over into every area. And they were pretty much just out of line in their Christian lives. So the very first thing is you have to decide, where is this person at? in in their um, walk with the Lord. If they're faint-hearted or weak, then they need encouragement. They need help, and we'll look at that next time. Um, if they're spiritually immature, they may just need instruction on how to grow up. But if they're kind of thumbing their nose at the Lord and just defiantly disobeying, that's when you got to come in a little stronger. You know, when my kids were growing up, I tried to discern, is he acting like a three-year-old or is he being defiant? And there's a big difference. If if a three-year-old's acting like a three-year-old, even if they're tired or, you know, cranky or throwing a fit, three-year-olds do that. So you come alongside and try to help them grow up. That's not the way we deal with these kind of problems in life. And you give them instruction. Uh, on the other hand, if a 10-year-old is acting like a 3-year-old, he probably needs a little stronger admonishment. You know, that's not how we act at age 10. And if either of them are being just in-my-face defiant, then I wanted to let them know, you don't act that way toward your father. You know, my authority in God is over you, and you are not defiant toward me. So there you come in with stronger correction. So here the point is, before you admonish somebody, figure out where they're at. And sometimes you have to ask a lot of questions. You know, how's your time with the Lord? Are you spending time with him? Are you growing in him? You, you ask some questions and figure it out. And then secondly here, to admonish correctly, you have to understand what admonition is. 
Uh, here's a definition. To admonish means to strongly encourage, correct, or warn someone to change from behavior that is wrong or potentially wrong according to Scripture. The word to admonish is related to the Greek word for mind. And, and so it involves imparting some knowledge, some instruction, uh, understanding to the person with a view to correction. It's also, though, an appeal to the will and to the emotions, the feelings of the person, not just to the intellect. And you need to be as strong in admonition as the person is in serious trouble of spiritual destruction. For example, if you're standing on the shore of a river and you see a guy floating down toward a deadly waterfall, you get pretty emotional. Hey, stop! And you're waving and you're jumping and you're trying to get him to stop because he's heading toward death if he keeps going. And same thing spiritually. Again, gauge where they're at. If this is really, really serious, you come on stronger than uh, if it's a minor thing. And it's really important, use the Bible, not your own opinion, if you try to admonish a brother or sister. For example, uh, you might say to somebody, a friend, you know, in my opinion, looking at pornography is spiritually dangerous because you have a hunch he's into that. In fact, maybe you know he's into that. And he comes back and says, well, thanks, but in my opinion, everybody's doing it, and really it's harmless as, as long as you're not addicted to it, and I'm not addicted to it. Okay, you got your opinion, and you got his opinion. <laughs> Doesn't cut it. Instead, just open your Bible and take him to Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus basically says, pluck out your eye, cut off your hand in dealing with that sin of lust. And if you don't do that, Jesus warns, you will be headed toward hell. I mean, it's serious talk that Jesus gives there. That carries a lot more clout than my opinion. Just let him wrestle with the Lord. Um, When you go to someone who is in sin, you can expect when you admonish him or her, you're going to meet resistance. Just expect it because they're going to be defensive. They're going to want to... Uh, defend their behavior, maybe they'll blame you or others or their circumstances or whatever, uh, but they're going to try and dodge it. They might bring up some shortcoming in your life, and you have to be prepared. Don't get diverted. You want to bring them in touch with the Lord and his word and deal with their issue. And so to use the earlier illustration You could ask your friend, are you telling me before God that you're not looking at pornography? And and do you think God approves of that? And and just ask those questions to bring it back to him and the Lord. Now, no matter how gently and graciously you confront a sinning person, it's easy to come across as being harsh or judgmental. So how do we do it? in a way that doesn't condemn the other person? Well, several things. To admonish others, we need to be prayerful, humble, Christ-like, and knowledgeable of God's word. First of all, be prayerful. 
In other words, talk to God much about the person before you talk to the person about God. Make sure you've really spent time in prayer, seeking the Lord. And as I said, if you're eager to admonish someone, probably you're not ready to do it. You need to wait. And it needs to be kind of difficult. When you finally do meet with them, if you've been praying for them, then you can honestly say, you know, I've been praying for you for a long time about this, this issue, and I'm really concerned where I sense that you're at spiritually. And they'll hopefully feel that you really care about them. Secondly, not only be prayerful, but be humble. <clears throat> In other words, you're not coming down from your ivory tower of, I live a sinless life, and you're a dirty, no-good sinner, and so I've come to help you. <clears throat> it's not that kind of attitude at all. You're just as prone to temptation as the other person is. Maybe next time, tables will be turned, and he'll be confronting you. And so you come in the sense that Paul instructs in Galatians 6.1, where he says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore, that word means to set a broken bone or put an out-of-joint um, bone back in the socket. You do that very gently because it's painful. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. So you just go realizing I'm a sinner too, and I need the help of others, but I've come to help him. Thirdly, be Christ-like. Be prayerful, be humble, be Christ-like. When he says, you who are spiritual, he means you who walk in the spirit. He's just talked about that in Galatians 5.16. And you who display the fruit of the spirit in your life. Galatians 5.22 and 23 says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And so, If those qualities mark you, especially love, patience, kindness, gentleness, those things, then you can go and seek to equip the other or to admonish the other person. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, you're telling me to be Christ-like. And frankly, sometimes Christ was pretty blunt and harsh. I mean, get behind me, Satan. For you're setting your mind, not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's, you know. Wow. Jesus just clobbered Peter on that occasion. Or listen to the Apostle Paul. He's speaking here to Elimus the magician. The magician was trying to turn the proconsul that Paul was witnessing to away from the Lord. And here's Paul's words to him. You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil... You enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. You'd think, wow, Paul must have been in the flesh, right? But just before that verse, it says, Now Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, said. Uh, That's the quote. So, there are times where... A blunt, shocking approach is the one you should take. My counsel would be, A, those times are few, and B, be very, very, very cautious about doing that. 
if you're going to default and err, err on the side of gracious, gentle, kind, patient, all of those words, because that's the usual way. Um, Once in a rare while, you need to come on strong, but not normally. So be prayerful, be humble, be Christ-like, and then finally to admonish others. You've got to know God's word, especially as it relates to the problem at hand. Uh, As I said, you don't want to say my opinion. You want to appeal to God's authority and let God be the judge. His word is, is our standard. And so you've got to not just go and say, you know, somewhere there's a Bible verse about what you're doing. No, know the verse, know how to get there, um, be able to lead the person there, and not just to rebuke and correct. It says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that the Word of God is good for rebuking and correcting, but it's also good for training in righteousness. That's the positive. So don't just make the person feel guilty and condemned and walk away from them. But come alongside and say, let's look at how God's word lays out a strategy for how you can have victory over that sin. And so you're offering a positive corrective on, on how he can get out of it. Because often a person is, is trapped in their sin. They don't know how to get through it. So you come alongside. Don't just blast them and leave them. In fact, don't blast them at all. Um, don't correct them and leave them. But give them positive uh, ways to grow in the Lord. So, first of all then, to do this ministry, we've got to overcome our excuses. Then we have to discern the other person's spiritual condition, uh, and we need to understand what biblical admonition is. Uh, We need to be prayerful, humble, Christ-like, knowledgeable of God's Word. And then finally, to admonish others and uh, somebody between services said, I must be reading John MacArthur because I'm going to alliterate. And John, I guess, always alliterates. Uh, But I didn't get this from John. But be passionate, be personal, be persistent, be purposeful, and be preventative. And don't worry, I'm just going to touch on these quickly. Uh, First, passionate. Acts chapter 20, verse 31. Paul is meeting for what's probably his last time with the Ephesian elders. And he says this, Therefore, Be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. And I believe it was Paul's tears that made these men feel his love. They knew Paul cared about them. And Paul admonished his converts another place, 1 Corinthians 4.14. He says he was a loving father. He says, I I don't write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. And every father who loves his children knows you've got to correct them, but you do it in love. You come alongside and say, here's the way we should live and point them to God's way. But if if you don't do that with people, if you shrug your shoulders and say, hey, whatever, you know, guys, way out there, uh, shouldn't do that. You're not loving them. Love feels for them. Secondly, be personal. Paul says he admonished each one of those Ephesian elders with tears. And in Colossians 1.28, Paul sums up his ministry. He says, we proclaim him, Christ, 
admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Now, certainly there's a place for admonishing a whole group as through preaching the word. Uh, But sometimes if somebody's in sin, they don't hear the preaching. It goes right by them. But when you come alongside personally and say, hey, brother, I'm concerned about you and and share it one-on-one, then it gets through to their problem. Uh, thirdly, be passionate, be personal, be persistent. Paul says, for three years, night and day for three years, he admonished. He doesn't mean he nagged them. He just means I did it over and over and over and over with you guys. I didn't give up. And thankfully, God doesn't give up on us. You know, you, you don't just do it once and the guy rebuffs you and say, oh, well, I tried. No, if you care, you go back again and again and again. And then be purposeful. Your goal, as I said, is not to embarrass anyone. Uh, It's not to put them down. It's to help them be complete in Christ, to help them glorify God with their lives. And then finally, be preventative. Um, Colossians 3.16 says to us, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. He's talking to the whole church, you plural, with all wisdom, teaching, and here's our word, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So as we were singing this morning, worshiping the Lord, we're admonishing one another in the ways of God. And then through biblical preaching, Second Timothy 4 says that uh, preaching the word should involve exhorting and rebuking and and correcting, and so on. Um, And then also in the home, fathers are to admonish their kids. Uh, Preventative admonition, Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline, and the text should read, admonition of the Lord. It's the same Greek word. Uh, Correcting them gently and lovingly. Um, One way you do that is by reading the Bible to your family and praying with your family. Preventative correction. When I was a young father, I had an older godly man in my church, and uh, his father had written, the. maybe you sung the chorus, Spirit of the Living God, Fall Fresh on Me. That was his dad who wrote that chorus. And one day after church, he just kind of put his arm around me, and he said, uh, I was in my early 30s, and he said, Steve, just read the Bible and pray with your family often. And, you know, it was just a good word from an older man to a younger man, and we did that as a family. We read through almost the whole Bible more than once, Some parts I didn't read the genealogies and all of that to my kids at the dinner table. But, you know, the Bible stories, as they got older, we launched into books like Romans and those kind of books. But um, Psalms, Proverbs, it doesn't have to be long. Uh, And the whole thing, reading the Word, we'd talk about a missionary and pray for a missionary. And we would pray for the family and any needs whole thing took maybe 10 minutes at the most. 
Sometimes they're banging on their high chair, you know, and you got to stop them and all of that. But the word corrects and prayer helps correct. And so that was the point. So I just passed that on to any of you who are young fathers. Read the Bible. Pray with your family. Do it often. Now, maybe at this point, you're still hesitant to admonish because there are verses like Proverbs 10:12 that says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. And Peter alludes to that in 1 Peter 4.8. He says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And then Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it's his glory to overlook a transgression. And maybe you're thinking, well, don't those verses mean that we should overlook other sins and not correct them? Several things to be said. First of all, as I said earlier, we need to distinguish between um, immaturity spiritually and deliberate defiance. If a person is just immature then you come alongside and help. Uh, But if they're being defiant, they need confrontation in the biblical way. Um, They need to be admonished so that they don't reap the consequences of their sin. Also, trying to understand those verses, I found a lot of help in reading Stuart Scott in his book, The Exemplary Husband. He has a very good chapter on how a husband can help his wife deal with her sin, and then he deals with those commands to cover others' sins um, in an appendix at the end of the book. And he shows those aren't in contradiction to the other scriptures that tell us to go to a brother and, and help him, restore him if he's in sin. And Scott explains those verses this way. He says, Love covers or conceals... A multitude of sins means love does not take into consideration, bring up, or share sins that have already been dealt with. He adds, we cannot gather from any of these verses that God wants us to do nothing about sin, but instead he wants us to react in a godly way, deal with sin his way, and then truly forgive by covering it. You don't spread someone's sin to others that they have repented of. The Apostle Paul sums up this ministry of admonition or correction in one sentence in 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26. And before you go to correct someone, read this verse and pray through this verse over and over. Paul says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. And then here's the prayer part. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So he says, don't be quarrelsome. Be kind. Be able to teach God's word. Be patient and gentle. Pray for God to grant repentance, and then do it. Don't procrastinate then, but do it. 
someone pointed out to me between services a helpful thought too, and I share this with you, and that is if you're on the receiving end, if you're on the receiving end, someone comes to admonish you, apply the same truth. First, listen to what they're saying. Don't be defensive. Pray about what they had to say and take it to the Lord. Thank them because it, it took courage on their part to come to you. Maybe they have been praying about this for a long time and it shows their care for you. And uh, just receive it in the Lord as the person intends it. They may be right, they may be partially right, they may be wrong, but God brought them to you, so try and receive it in the Lord. With all of that, let me bow in prayer and ask the Lord to apply this to our hearts.